Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is a gnarly story. And so if you're new to the Bible, uh, there are so many things in the Bible that are so shocking and so disorienting. And this is one of the most shocking, disorienting stories in all of the Old Testament. So you've been fair warned. Let me read the passage for us and we'll pray. Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us, Father. We ask now through this story and through our time together here that you would build our community on word and spirit, prayer and faith, radical faith. I pray for every soul that you've gathered in this moment that today you would stir them to risk for you, stir them to stir us to obey you radically. Lord, as a brand new church plant, we need you to do the work. We're stepping out, we're risking, we're sacrificing. Would you meet with us with your great provision beyond our expectation? May neighbors and Park Hill and our family of churches multiply all throughout San Diego County, the United States, and even the world, Lord. We pray for missionaries and church planters. And God, we ask just to be able to obey you fully and completely with faith as our bedrock, faith as our foundation, faith as the firm ground upon which we walk. We worship you today. Meet with us in Jesus' name. All of God's people said amen. You guys can grab your seats. So we're currently in uh, our Pillars series talking about the things upon which Neighbors Church is built. And we have six specific pillars 
that we're building this community upon, as I already prayed, word and spirit, prayer and faith, family and hospitality. So today we hit pillar number four. This morning's teaching is going to be very succinct, very quick, so that we can get directly to our tacos and just building our friendships. But today we want to talk about faith. And Abraham's story is an exemplary story of the type of faith that we followers of Jesus have been called to exercise. And it's extreme. Faith in our day has fallen on hard times. So in the environment that we exist in, in the context of this current cultural moment, when the word faith comes up in conversations, or when the word faith is brought to our attention, thoughts on faith go something generally like this. You know, we're modern people. We have moved beyond faith. Before people had science and medicine and technology, they tended to have to believe things, so they attributed everything to spiritual entities, and, you know, faith was the way through which they saw the world, but they were uneducated, they were antiquated, uh, they didn't understand the way that we modern people with our science and with our technology understand things. So we can now explain things, therefore, we no longer need faith. Faith is an antiquated, archaic idea, we've moved We've moved past it. Science, rationality, technology. This is explaining everything that we need to have explained in the world. And, and I, I, would, I would say, in counter to that, that every human on this planet will never move beyond faith. And so even if this morning you were brought here with a friend, you have, this is like your first time in a church environment or in a religious environment where the Bible is being taught or where a community of people who have faith, it's the first time you've been surrounded by them, you may, you may find yourself asking the question like, what am I doing here? We've moved beyond this. But, but the truth is, every human being, we all are operating with some sort of faith. We as humans cannot function without faith. Let me give you just a quick example just to kind of spark your thoughts on this. Every single one of us this morning, we had to exercise a tremendous amount of faith in the drivers of California just to get here. Think with me about this. There was no way when we got into our cars this morning that we could know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the drivers alongside of us on I-8, 805, the 5, the 15, whichever freeway you took to get here, there was no way for us to for sure, with no shadow of a doubt, know that those drivers alongside of us were going to abide by freeway law and go the right direction. Every time I'm on I-8, I always have this analogy in my mind that I'm actually trusting all of these California drivers to abide by the law and go the right direction. And so every time we get on a freeway, we do so with the belief that all other drivers on the road are going to generally go the speed limit, kind of. <laughs> They're going to watch out for each other. We're going to watch out for them and go the right direction. And we cannot know that that's the case for sure until we've arrived at our destination. Now you can look back on your journey on the freeway and say, okay, it's proven true. I survived the Californian freeways. But prior to that, you had to trust. You had to trust. And if you didn't, if you didn't believe, you would not have gotten in your car. Just let that sink in. If we did not believe in the law-abiding ability of Californian drivers, we wouldn't have gotten on the freeway. Our belief would determine our behavior. 
we as humans, if you think through almost every single one of our activities, they require some level of faith. We actually live in a continuous, unconscious act of faith. And what we believe is what moves our behavior. We are able to move into the world based on what we believe. And if we didn't believe, we would actually enter into a state of complete paralysis. We wouldn't be able to do anything in life. We cannot flourish without faith. And so the crucial question that we're all asking ourselves this morning isn't, do I believe, quote unquote, do I have faith? You do. I do. We're trusting. We are believing. We are putting our faith in certain things so that we can function and flourish as humans. The crucial question is, what exactly do I believe? What have I placed my faith in? And so if all of life is an act of faith, then the most important thing that we can place our faith in is God, the creator of all of life. Faith in God is more than just a decision to believe that he's there. Just like we believe that the California drivers will go the right direction on the freeway, therefore we can behave and get into our cars and drive on the freeways, faith in God, when we decide to believe that he's there, actually motivates and transforms our behavior. Biblical faith, like what we see in Abraham, is more than just a decision in our minds. Biblical faith is dynamic. It grows Biblical faith is transformative. It changes us from the inside out. It changes our behavior outwardly. Biblical faith is a lifelong process that each of us will always be engaged in with our Father. And biblical faith includes not only our minds, but our heart and our behavior. So this intense story that I opened our time together with, this was a culminating moment in a lifelong journey of faith by this man, Abraham. This was like a pinnacle moment in the man's life. Now, Abraham's faith, as we're going to see in our time together, was imperfect. His faith wavered at times. But in the end, Abraham's faith carried the hallmarks of what faith in God looks like. Even though it was imperfect, even though he stumbled, even though he wavered often through his life, at the end, in this culminating moment, in this most severe of tests, Abraham's faith bore the hallmarks of what our faith is to look like. So there's four dimensions that I want to walk you guys through briefly, if you're taking notes. Four dimensions to biblical faith, or four dimensions to what my mentor, Dr. Gary Brashears, calls Abrahamic faith. And I want you to just listen to these dimensions, realizing that this is a pillar upon which we're going to build our community. And so as God draws you into neighbor's church, You're under the authority of the word. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We live a life of prayer that's constantly attuned to God's presence, like even right now, God's presence in our midst. And undergirding all of that and driving all of that is this type of faith, this type of abandoned belief. Four dimensions of Abraham's faith that we apply to our lives. Loyalty, trust, obedience, and provision. Loyalty, trust, obedience, and provision. Because we don't have screens, I'll just read it one more time. These four dimensions that we're being challenged in of Abraham's faith to apply to our own lives. Loyalty, trust, obedience, and provision. So first of all, Abraham's faith demonstrated loyalty. Loyalty. At the beginning of Abraham's call, in Genesis chapter 12, 
Abraham is living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. In that land, Abraham was surrounded by a foreign people. He was in a land of strangers, and he was in a land of foreign, foreign gods. He was living in a cultural moment, much like ours, that was hyper-spiritual, where every human chose for themselves which god they wanted to worship, and in many ways, every human was choosing to make themselves their own gods. So Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees. He was surrounded by a foreign people. He was surrounded by foreign gods. And as far as we can tell, Abraham himself was worshiping these false gods, these demon gods. And God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, the very beginning of Abraham's life of faith, and says to him, Genesis 12:1, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So as Abram's faith journey begins, God comes to him and tells him, I want you to turn from everything. I want you to turn and loyally follow me. I want you to turn from the land that you grew up in and on. I want you to turn away from the people that you've been surrounded by. I even want you to turn from your family and I want you to even turn from the most important thing to you, Abraham, the thing that you consider gods, I, Yahweh, which is the Old Testament name for God, I'm calling you to turn from all of those things and commit your loyalty and your allegiance entirely to me. This is the first dimension of Abrahamic faith. Biblical faith turns from everything. Everything is reoriented around God himself where we came from, who we hang out with, our family changes. Next week when we get into our fifth pillar of family, we'll talk about this is the true family on earth. The gods that we once followed and trusted, we turn from those gods. And so Abrahamic faith is this turning from everything that we've known and reorienting our lives around God entirely. The biblical word for this is repentance. Repentance. Repentance is when we turn from going in a certain direction, placing our faith in certain things, and we turn completely and totally towards the maker of the universe who calls us just as he called Abraham. Repentance turns us towards God. And understand that repentance, this is the initial act of faith. This is the moment where we turn from all of these things, but that initial moment of loyalty, and change of allegiance, that leads to an entire life that is lived by this loyalty and by this faith as we maintain over and over and over moments of turning from, oh, I think I'm trusting in this. Oh, I'm putting more weight in this group of people. Oh, I'm, I'm placing more of the foundation of my life on where I live versus this moment by moment continual turning to God. The great reformer Martin Luther actually said, all of life is a life of repentance. And so equate repentance with the transforming of our allegiance. And I would just invite you this morning as you're sitting there listening out here in this park, where is your allegiance this morning? What are you loyal to? Because your father who made you and created you comes to you just like he came to Abraham and he invites you. He says, I want you to leave everything. Leave everything and orient your life around me. That's the first dimension of biblical faith.
even on the way to sacrifice his own son. We're going to talk about what Abraham was thinking while he was doing this. Even in this time of terrible confusion, Abraham remained loyal to God. God had asked the man to give up his most precious possession, his, his beloved son, Isaac. And you would think that Abraham would have been like, oh, my loyalty stops there. <laughs> That's a bit much. You're asking me to give up too much. But instead, what we see is the man exhibited loyalty to his, to his God to such a degree that he would obey him in sacrificing that was, was most cherished to him. Abraham's faith had completely vested itself in God's goodness. Even as he was going, he still believed and he still worshiped. In Genesis 22.5, we read, He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over here. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham's loyalty was worship. The giving over of his life and even his son's life to the God who had called him. And so this morning, in the face of our most troubling and confusing times, which all of us are facing, some of you right now are probably facing things where you feel like you're having to give up your most cherished possession. Biblical faith says, I will remain with my allegiance completely given to God. In fact, it will manifest in worship. I feel like I'm losing everything, but I'm going to worship God. I'm going to lay out my life before him. I'm going to trust in him. Second, though Abraham wavered at times, his faith exercised this deep trust in God, even when it made no sense whatsoever. In Genesis chapter 15, jumping a little bit into Abraham's life, Abraham is like 90 to 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, is about 80 to 90. And they are promised a son well after the childbearing years. God says to him, God comes to him and says, I'm going to make your children more than the stars in the sky. So God takes him outside at night and he says, look up at the sky and count the stars, Abraham, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord or he trusted the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham, though he was old, though this was an absolutely impossible promise, he, as God came to him and said, I will make your children, though this is impossible, I will make your children more than the stars in the sky. Abraham was loyal and allegiant to God, and then he trusted God even for this impossible promise. And God looked at him and said, that belief, that level of trust, when this is totally impossible, but you remain loyal to me, that level of trust, that is righteous, a better way to put that might be said, God looked at Abel, Abraham's loyal, trusting faith in that moment, and he said, that's the right way to be human. That is the way to be human. An unquestioning trust in the ability of God to do the absolute impossible things that he has promised to do. But there's more in this idea of righteousness being credited to Abraham through faith. This way of faith not only made Abraham right with God, and not only made him the right way to be human, it actually compelled him to go and do righteousness in the world, to go and do justice in the world. And that's the third dimension of Abrahamic faith. First, allegiance and loyalty to God. Second dimension of Abrahamic faith that God's calling all of us to, radical trust in light of impossible, terrible situations. Radical, surrendered, worshiping trust of God. 
And when we do that, our Father looks at our trust and he says, that's the way to be my kids. That's the way to be human. A surrendered, unquestioning trust that I am good in all that I do all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. We will waver. Doubt is not the diminishment of faith that God wants from us. Doubt helps refine this level of dependence that we have on God. Doubt is not the diminishment of faith. I think that doubt is actually part of developing faith. I think we all need permission to have that interaction with God and that kind of civil war in our own hearts. But this level of faith, this loyal, trusting faith, led to obedience, and that's the third dimension of Abrahamic faith. He obeyed what God called him to. His faith was more than just an intellectual nod to God. His faith determined his his following of God and his belief determined his outward behavior. So when God came to Abraham and said, I want you to turn from all of your other gods and leave his country, he didn't just kind of salute God and say, oh, it's a great idea, and then go on with his life in the same country around the same people. He literally left everything. It changed where he lived. It changed who he spent his time with. When God tested Abraham's faith so severely in this story that we read as to sacrifice his son, he obeyed because of what he believed. Abraham's belief enabled him to obey this crazy command from God to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering because we know that Abraham believed even if he sacrificed his son Isaac, God could raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham didn't hear God's command, sacrifice your son as a burnt offering, and then just go forth snapping his fingers and singing a little song. He was motivated by the belief that if he did obey God's command, God would be able to raise Abraham from the dead. The author of Hebrews wrote about this event millennia later saying this, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, he believed, that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is really important, guys, as we talk about this. We Protestants, that's who we are here. We are Western Protestant Christians. We tend to believe because we've been trained this way, that faith is a single moment when maybe we raised our hands and gave our lives to Jesus. That's good. We need to do that. I think sometimes we think that faith is the moment where we prayed a certain prayer, Jesus, I trust you, and we gave our lives over to Jesus, and then it was all over. But what the life of Abraham teaches us is that faith is an ongoing process of active obedience to God, letting go of the things that are most precious to us as he guides us to receive back from him what is actually the most precious thing in the world. And through this type of faith, this loyal, sacrificial, obedient faith, Abraham was counted righteous and then commanded to go into the world and bring righteousness and justice into the world. Genesis 18, God said to Abraham, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised, what he has promised him. I want to talk for just a moment. If faith is about obedience, then I want to talk for just a moment about what doing righteousness and justice means. 
Righteousness and justice, that's two Hebrew words in the Old Testament, super important words, sedekah and mishpat. Sedekah and mishpat. They show up over and over and over and over and over through the Old Testament. In our minds, when we think of righteousness, we tend to just think of maybe a decent guy who keeps all the rules. He's righteous. Whenever we think of justice, we tend to think of when bad guys get punished, they're getting justice. Sometimes whenever we hear the word justice, we immediately leap to social justice, where we are caring for uh, the poor, there's welfare, there's clothing for those who have need, eradicating classism, stopping sex trafficking. Whenever we hear the word justice, we immediately jump to those types of things. I want you to understand that those are part, those things are all part of doing righteousness and justice, but they are not the whole. When we live with obedient faith, then righteousness and justice is actually carried into all relationships. Hear this. Obedient faith transforms our relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with creation itself. Loyal, trusting, obedient faith does righteousness and creates justice in every single relationship we have Everywhere we go, every breath we breathe. And so our relationship with God is made right through this loyalty, this allegiance, through this radical trust. Our relationship with others is made right as we love our neighbors as ourselves. Our relationship with ourselves is made right as we become what God always intended us to be, his loved children. And finally, our relationship with creation is made right. Because obedience calls us back to the original garden mandate to go and cultivate culture, to go and cultivate creation, to create beauty, to tend to the animals. You know, our eco-friendly culture, their instinct, our instinct is right. But faith in God who made us compels us to go forth, take care of our relationships with the creation around us. And that leads us to our fourth and final dimension of faith, Faith looks for the Lord's provision. As we make this idea of faith a pillar of our community, God is saying to us, turn from everything, neighbor's church. Turn from your fears. Turn from your insecurities. Turn from your expectations. Turn from your agendas. Loyally, with all that you are, orient your life around me. And as we make this pillar of faith our centerpiece, God is saying, radically trust me. Grow in the level at which you are able to surrender your most cherished things unto me because I want to give the world to you, literally, is what God is telling us. And faith says, I will radically trust. And let that trust and that loyalty move you in obedience out into the world, doing what God has commissioned you to do in right relationship with him, in right relationship with others, you love others as yourself in right relationship with yourself as you live out that reality as being a child of God and in right relationship with, Christ, with creation. And then finally, always let your faith look for the Lord's provision. As Abraham was taking his son up that mountain, Abraham was looking for a substitute for his son. He looked for God to provide the sacrifice. You know, this story has troubled, rightly, has troubled people for millennia. Why would God contradict himself? 
God comes to Abraham and tells him to do the very thing that God is totally opposed to, child sacrifice. And oftentimes this story is interpreted as God is commanding Abraham to murder his son. But there's some important language here that I want to highlight just very briefly. God tells Abraham to offer Isaac up as a burnt offering. That's priest language from the book of Leviticus. God is saying to this man, you have failed. You have done wrong. You have done things that are not righteous. You have done things that are not bringing justice into the world. And I believe that when Abraham was commanded by God to lift up his son as a burnt offering, it made total sense to him that his son was going to be the offering for his wrongdoing. That's why he was doing, Abraham was not just, oh yes, I'll murder my son meaninglessly. In the mind of this ancient Hebrew man, he was realizing my sin has come home to roost. And God is saying, to pay for my sin, my son is going to be sacrificed. Abraham was offering a sin offering to God in the belief that God would raise his son from the dead. But even as this man with trembling hands began to tie his son to the pile of wood, he was looking by faith, please, there has to be some other way. There has to be some other provision for my sin, for my brokenness. Don't let it be my son. Abraham's faith was looking for a substitute to take his son's place for the wrong that Abraham had done. Isaac spoke up, Genesis 22, 7 through 8, and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. There's this interesting dynamic here between Abraham and Isaac. In this moment, Isaac's looking around going, hey, what's going on here? There's wood. I see the material for a sacrifice. I got dad here with me, but where's the lamb? Where's the, where's the burnt offering going to come from? And Abraham explains to his son, look, we're both going to look for God's provision in this situation. And the two of them go together as one by faith, looking for God's provision. And right at the last moment, I'm certain if I was Isaac and I'm strapped to the sacrificial altar, at that point, I'm looking desperately. Oh, my gosh. Dad said, he's, what's going to happen here? But there was this obedience in these two by faith. And right as Abraham has the knife over his son to offer him up as the sin offering, as the burnt offering, God provides. Abraham looked up, verses 13 to 14, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. It's important to note, when we look at Abraham's life, we don't see perfect obedience, just like when we look at our lives. When we look at our lives, we find that our faith falters. We find that our obedience falters. We find that when God has called us to do justice in the world, we do unjust and unjust things. When God has called us to multiply righteousness, oftentimes we end up multiplying unrighteousness in the world. But what we must do is turn our allegiance to God in loyalty, trust, even though it seems impossible 
that he could forgive us and accept us, obey and receive his goodness, and then look for the provision that doesn't sacrifice us, but sacrifices a substitute to atone, to overcome, to forgive our sin. This whole story of Father Abraham and his son Isaac is the story of God the Father walking with his son into this broken world, saying, I will provide the substitute for all of creation myself. I will provide the sacrifice myself upon which humans can then look. And rather than having to sacrifice themselves and pay for their own sin, I will send my own son to pay for their rebellion, for their unrighteousness, for their wrongdoing. I will provide the necessary sacrifice for all of our faithlessness. And so as we wrap this up this morning, loyalty to God, radical trust in his overcoming plan, this deep obedience that comes out of the belief that God is with us, God is doing through us, and our faith always looks to the provision of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. At the end of the day, that's what makes us Christian, is that we look to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the centerpiece of all that we are.